Hey folks, I got this real quick recording from Peter Cooper, who was one of the original panelists on Ruby Rogues. So I thought I would just drop this in real quick first, and then we will get to our regular recording that we recorded as episode 500. So go ahead and listen to Peter, and then we will roll right into the episode. Hello, Ruby Rogues and Rogue listeners. I don't know if there's a name for Ruby Rogues listeners, but there you go. Let's call you the Rogarinos. Uh, so this is Peter Cooper. Uh, you probably know me more as being the editor of rubyweekly.com, but I was one of the first hosts on Ruby Rogues as well. Uh, I was a little bit quiet, found it a little bit hard to kind of figure out where to contribute and stuff. And I was, you know, building up uh, the Ruby Weekly newsletter and kind of doubled down on that, which is why I stepped back. But Ruby Rogues is a great show, really enjoyed it over the years. Not listened to it as much recently as I should have, which I should probably uh, catch up a little bit, but uh yeah, hope things are going well. Hope everyone who's uh, on this 10th anniversary thing is doing well. Uh, life has changed for a lot of us. Ruby's changed for a lot of us. You know, I kind of remember there being a real lull a few years ago and people were sort of like moving off to other things and, you know, people getting into Node and Elixir and stuff like that. And while there's still some of that going on, it seems there's been a real I don't know, reinvigoration of the Ruby space. I'm seeing a lot more stuff happening lately and you know, that's reflected not just in the work that I do, but also in the shows and the topics that I've seen Ruby Rhodes cover recently. So hello to everyone. Sorry I couldn't make it. Got all sorts of bizarre things going on here, but uh, hope you're all doing well. And yeah, another 10 years. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I, should, I shouldn't I should start it just like another show. It's episode 500. Can Listen you believe up. we've done Yay. 500 of these? Isn't that crazy? It's we crossed crazy. the 10-year tr- threshold like three weeks ago. And, Chuck, if there's uh, anything about you that I know, you're the guy who will just keep on going no matter what. The show, <laughs> show proves it, man. 500 episodes is crazy. Uh, I've, I've had people accuse me of that, and I've had people tell me they admire that about me. I, I don't quite know which way to take it anymore. <laughs> well, if you can hodl as well as you can keep these things going on, I'm sure you'll be rich in no time. I don't know about that. Sorry, crypto joke. <laughs> mm. That's what but, we uh, need. That's what we need. We need a, a Ruby cryptocurrency. There we go. Perhaps. Oh, there we go. Cryptocurrency. We'll call it Rogecoin. Yeah, I'll get on to Elon. He owes me a favor. I know, right? <laughs> I think that was in the news, though, that there was some... Anyway, let's not dive into that. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. But yeah, so yeah, it's it's interesting just because a couple of things. So May 5th, 2011 was when we recorded the first episode of Ruby Rogues. 
And I was just going back and looking at some of that, thinking back over, you know, 10 years and all the stuff that's gone on. It's it's been really, really interesting. I've learned a lot. I've made some pretty massive mistakes. I've stuck to my guns on some things that have cost me. We've had some really terrific hosts and guests over the years. Just some amazing people involved in the show. I've known like Eric since before. Yeah, it's just, like it's, we- it's just been this awesome journey uh, with all of you guys involved and and many other people that aren't here. So, uh, yeah, but I, I kind of want to just back up and, and kind of highlight you guys for a minute, though, and just kind of give people an idea of where you guys are at and what's going on. Because we don't really talk about that on the show so much as just, hey, we've got a topic and a guest and let's talk. So uh, do you guys want to, in turn, just talk about where you're at and what you're doing and what's going on and, and where things are at? Eric, we haven't heard from you in a while, so it'll be interesting to see where you're at, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to share. So uh, my name is Eric Berry. I used to be on the show for, I think, about a two-year span. Mm, something like that. And uh, I've been, uh, I think that you might remember me, possibly from my discussions around code fund, open source funding, and all of that. It's been a huge uh, passion and focus of mine for years. Uh, about a year ago, I shut the company down and we all kind of walked away from it. And it was uh, right like at the beginning of COVID. It was in June of last year, June of 2020. After that, I I kind of hit a wall and thought, okay, I just need to, to simplify my life. So I went through and I basically removed myself from anything that wasn't critical to, to my happiness and and uh, yeah, so over the past year, I've been working for a company out of Denver who creates real estate software, and it's been fantastic. And I was able to recruit my good buddy, Nate Hopkins, to join me. So we're now working again side by side. And you might remember Nate from this show as well. So uh, anyway, it's great to be back. It's good to be in good company. It's good to see uh, all these faces again that I remember and, uh, and also meet Luke. I haven't met Luke before. So Luke, I'll hand it off to you, buddy. Oh, yeah. Real pleasure to meet you, Eric. Everyone knows Nate Hopkins, of course, of course, uh, <laughs> legend. The what have I been doing this year? Well, the trouble is, it's been a bit of a funny year. Joining Ruby Rogues, you know, as the pandemic came down, it's been a fascinating experience. I have moved into two areas which Ruby is not traditionally in. So before I was kind of working in the kind of e-commerce space, which is like Ruby, Ruby on Rails, prime territory. But in the last kind of year, 18 months, I've been putting Ruby on drones uh, wow. and a few other kind of aerospace related tidbits. So, you know, I kind of I kind of take great pleasure from that. You know, I like to kind of put Ruby where it hasn't been before. I feel like there's a kind of sense of a frontier spirit there. Luke, but yeah, your been, drone scale. Been... I think that's the important thing. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, when I say Ruby has crashed, I mean that in a very literal sense of a word. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I mean, in the West, you know, outside of Japan, you know, the idea of flying a drone using Ruby would be outrageous. But within Japan, you know, Ruby is kind of more of a kind of embedded systems. You know, you've got kind of micro Ruby, you know, uh, Max is working on Ruby these days. So it's not an outrageous thing to do. But it, it, it keeps it fresh. It keeps it fresh. And I think, you know, what Eric was saying about, you know, maximizing your happiness, 
there has to be an element of that. You have to keep it fresh. Sometimes just kind of doing something different or doing the same thing in a new context really kind of revitalizes your your view of life. So although it's been tough times, it's been a great opportunity to do new things in the last year. So uh, I look forward. I look forward to the, to the rest of a year. Good deal. What about you, Dave? So I have still been doing Drifting Ruby. I am on episode 297. So I'm about to hit a huge milestone there as well. Nice. And I mean, that's where I've really just poured a lot of focus into. I've tried launching a few products in the past. And one of them I recently shut down just because it wasn't generating the revenue. I hadn't been really pushing the marketing for it. And it was just in a very competitive space. So just having to go through that sense of failure, which any entrepreneur, any successful entrepreneur will have at least once or twice in their life met this thing called failure. And you just have to take the positives away from it and just continue on. So I've stayed committed to Drift and Ruby. I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. And with that episode 300 coming up soon in a few weeks, I'm excited to try to figure out something that I'm going to do special for that episode. But it's that's really where I've been focusing on since I've started on Ruby Rogues, I had to look back because it's been quite a while. I joined up January 24th, 2017, or at least that's when the first interview was with me. And that was at episode 294. So I've been around since for a few, few number of years. And that's where I'm at. You know, I'm still working a day job, doing my videos on the side at night. Have four kids now ages eight and under. So that's keeping me very busy. So I don't get much sleep. You still have your hair though. So stop complaining. <laughs> I, I do. I do. But I notice <laughs> I have like one or two gray hairs now. Uh-oh. Oh no. The Trubic, Asian, the Trubic Asian face thing. is finally aging a little bit. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your number one episode that you've produced? What's the biggest download you've had? On Drift and Ruby? Surprisingly, yes. if I can remember correctly. It is one on full calendar. It's an old one. I don't know why, but on YouTube and stuff where I post the free videos, it just it got hundreds of thousands of views. So that one still remains to be one of the top episodes. But then other ones like the Ruby on Rails tips and tricks or the new feature ones... Another extremely popular one has been nested forms from scratch with stimulus JS. Nice. Yeah, I have to say it's it's fun to be doing an episode and I'll say I'll say something like, Oh, this is the bane of my existence. And then Dave will chime in, you know, there's a drifting Ruby episode. <laughs> and I'll go watch it and I'll be like, okay, I should have gone and looked. Because <laughs> it solves my problem, right? Or if it doesn't, it's like, Okay, this gets me like 80% of the way there and I can kind of muddle my way through the other 20%. So yeah, uh, good stuff over there. I'm going to chime in here too because uh, things have changed a bit for me over the last year. And I don't know how much of this I've really talked about. A lot of stuff went down, I think starting in uh, about October, November, 2019. 
found myself in a little bit of trouble and then COVID hit and that really didn't help some of those issues, right? With the, with the financial situation, with the podcasts and things I think kind of came to a head toward the end of last summer. And I, I didn't want to shut down the shows. And so I actually went and got a full-time job and I'm not going to go into like all the ins and outs I did. There were some things that I would have done differently uh, looking back. But at the end of the day, I wound up getting a full-time job. I've been working for a company. It's a, it's a large multinational financial company. And I'm not going to talk about which one because some of that trouble, I, I, I think, might come back around to find me if I do talk about it. So anyway, so I've been working for them since September of last year. And anyway, it's, it's been kind of a, a nice uh, change of pace. At the same time, trying to juggle this and uh, the podcast has been kind of an interesting journey as well. And I've, I've actually started a, an audio diary where I talk about that. On uh, If you go to devchat.tv slash premium, you can sign up for doing devchat.tv. And that, you know, you can get that. It's, it's a premium show. It's 10 bucks a month. But I talk about that and I talk about what I'm working on and where all this is going and stuff like that. And I may talk about some of that here if, if we have time. And that's where these guys want to go with things. But anyway, so yeah, so I've been working full time for them and then just kind of been chasing things down and trying to pull some of these shows back together. Ruby Rogues, JavaScript Jabber, Views on View, you know, a handful of the other shows have been pretty solid through the whole thing, you know, consistently producing, consistent on having guests, uh, having hosts, things like that. And then, yeah, just been working on, you know, making sure that we have consistent content and consistent hosts and things like that, consistent guests on some of the other shows. But uh, it's, it's definitely been interesting and I've learned a lot over the last year. And sometimes that's part of the journey too, right? Is when things don't quite go the way you want them to. And, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I definitely am starting to kind of plan out where I want things to go from here and uh, bring people in to help me get there. So if you want to be a part of any of it, if you're interested in any of that, you can let me know. You can just email me or tweet at me or something and we'll figure it out. But yeah. The podcasting landscape has changed enormously since oh, yeah. 10 years ago. I mean, wow. Yeah, talk about a technological change. Mm -hmm. When are you going to start doing your Ruby hot tub Twitch streams? Because I know I know that's something we've talked <laughs> about privately. But I've got my swimsuit picked out. But no, on a serious, a serious note, I know this is something you're thinking of, is expanding your media. You're diversifying your media presence. Uh, right. Can you share anything on that? Yeah. So some people have asked me about doing video. Uh, that's something that I've kind of been thinking about for a while. Part of the there are two kind of main obstacles. To that one is is that not all of the hosts want to be on video, though those barriers have kind of come down more and more over the years as people kind of get used to the idea. I think the other thing is is that people have kind of gotten used to it through COVID, just being on video calls and stuff like that. They're just like, well. I'm on camera anyway. The other thing is, though, is that uh, you've got some bandwidth issues with that, right? And then there's the discussion over, do you live stream them or do you just record and edit them like we do with the podcasts? And so, yeah, there's some discussion that we're going to have to have. But we're going to be switching off of the Zoom to another system probably this summer called Riverside. And Riverside, Zoom, both Zoom and Riverside will stream to like YouTube or whatever. And so we could do that and allow people to participate in the live stream. Though I found that most of the people I talk to, they really don't get a large number of people showing up to the live streams. But 
you can reach a different audience by putting the discussions on YouTube. So that's that's a different medium. Beyond that, the other things that I'm finding that people are looking for is there a lot of people are looking for some sort of curated way of continuing their growth. And there are a lot of those out there for newer people, right? It's, hey, I want to learn Ruby. So, okay, go read this blog post, go watch this video, go watch this other video, go sign up for this service. You know, maybe they, it's like you need Drifting Ruby, you need Pluralsight, and you need this other subscription. And then just follow this curriculum, right? And you just consume all of these and then you're good, right? Or they'll go sign up for like Bottega, right? Which is a boot camp that's located here in Utah. But they have an online curriculum for Ruby and another one for React, right? So you just go through their videos. But once you graduate, then it's like, now what, right? And so what I'm looking to do is essentially create that for more advanced topics and then also create kind of an index where people can go and search up media that they can go to. And then I'd like to turn that around and give people some way of getting that curated content for topics they're interested in to their inboxes on a regular basis. And to some degree, I'd like to charge for it, but I don't know if that's charging sponsors or if that's charging users or both or some, you know, some happy medium. So I'm still figuring that bit out, but people are asking how to stay current. And I think, I think there's something in there as I talk to people that, you know, kind of hits that happy place. And so that's what I'm kind of working on now and providing that for the different communities that we have reached into. The biggest communities that we currently have reached into are JavaScript with JavaScript Jabber is the biggest show we have. And then Angular and Ruby are the next two largest shows. Um, and then you get into React, Vue, Elixir are kind of the next the next ones. Freelancing's right up there. The iOS show is on hiatus, but we're looking to bring that back and it's it's about that same size. So those are the audiences that we're looking to kind of head that way into. So that gets us into sort of the email newsletter, maybe blogging, depending on what the need is there and stuff like that. The other thing is, is I'm also looking at sort of the JavaScript weekly, Ruby weekly format of email for some of the communities that don't have it, right? So Angular used to have it, they don't anymore. React has it with React status, but I think there's a V1, but I don't remember who does it. Elixir has one, but just kind of curating some of that content and maybe getting a little bit more specific or having a segment so that it's within within those areas, some of the areas that people are looking to actually grow in. And so then it wouldn't be a JavaScript focused one, but it would be you said you were interested in these two or three areas to grow in. So here's your curated email newsletter for these things. And you get two or three recommended resources every week in each one. So that's kind of the direction that I'm, I'm heading in. And, and then if there's not content for those particular areas, then working with authors to make sure that it gets created. You can tell me if that sounds insane. Sounds like a lot. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's kind of the ultimate out there vision that I'm heading toward. And I think I think podcasts is a way that people naturally want to consume some of that. I think blog posts is another way that some people naturally consume it. I think video is another way that people naturally consume it. And so then it's just a matter of, of finding where the gaps are and seeing what people are willing to either pay for or sponsor in order to get out there. So you asked, there you, there you go. But that's the long-term vision for devchat.tv. So on our show notes, we had... One question, what's your favorite episode? 
Yeah. And I'm interested to hear what others are. I have what mine is. It was episode 324. And it it was titled Developer Horror Stories. And essentially, it was where we humbled ourselves. Let's see. I think Eric was on that one and Chuck and myself. And we basically told, here's where we just really blew it. And where we just made some really bad decisions or were forced into the corner to make these bad decisions. And then basically dealing with the aftermath of those choices. So it was a fun one because I think anyone listening or anyone who has been developing for a very, very long time, if you talk to a junior or someone, they probably look up to you and say like, wow, this person never makes a mistake. They always have the correct answer for everything. But that's not true. We have come a long ways in our journey and we have really screwed up in the past. And so this was just us sharing some of our stories where we have really screwed up. So check that one out if you haven't heard it before. It's a fun listen. How about you, Luke? My favorite episode, anything with me in it. Anything with me in it. Those are my favorite ones. The recent DHH episode where you launched Rail 61 live on the show, uh, live in inverted commas, was uh, a good one. That's the one that comes to mind. And that's the one I tell people about because the trouble of tech is that, you know, if you want to kind of get people listening, they want late stuff. We're all on the tech treadmill. I felt that was a strong episode with uh, DHH. It kind of comes alive towards the end when he starts bashing the JavaScript, which is my favorite topic, really. Anything, anything to do with rubbishing other languages is, is what I enjoy. But yeah, no, I mean, it speaks, it speaks, speaks volumes to the kind of uh, clout of the show that you've got. You've got the kind of people like DHH and uh, a lot of the Ruby core team coming on and giving us the latest inside information. Yep. How about you, Eric? Do you have a favorite? I do. I'm trying to find it. I uh, I think what really caught me initially onto this podcast, and I think that I, even though we knew each other, I think that the podcast probably preceded our friendship. It's the episode that you had. And I, if I remember right, it's where you had DHH and you had a cat on at the same time. Does that sound right? I or maybe it was Jimmy Camp. I don't know if we um, had them on at the same time. I remember. Would have been a anyway. I just ago. remember. Uh, I remember one episode early, early on, and DHH was on, and he was basically they were having a debate as far as front end technology goes. It might have been with uh, Helmcamp, but yeah, I mean, it, so it's it's interesting going through and looking at the names of people in some of these older shows. Like you interviewed Jim Warrick, who rest rest in peace, and and so many amazing people that have really carved the path of of where we are, you know, like I, I'm just going through them, Sam Saffron, Robin Ward, like all of these Ruby heroes of mine have been on this show. And it's just, it's kind of a, an amazing thing to look back on and, and take it all in and see how many of these conversations that have been held by you. And it's just amazing stuff. So I don't necessarily have a single episode that I enjoy the most. I'm always interested in the, in the DHH ones. I remember we interviewed DHH once and I tried to mm-hmm. back him into a little bit of a crypto conversation. <laughs> and he was pretty pissed about that. And we talked a lot about uh, ethical advertising and he wanted nothing to do with that. So 
in light of everything, I mean, it's 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 whatever. But they definitely made for the most interesting shows that that I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, everyone that Luke's been on. Of course, oh, everyone you. that Luke's been on. I, I thought you were gonna. Yeah, thank you very much. Go, goes without saying, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Can any of you guess what the most popular episode of Ruby Rogues is? The ones with it's, DHH. It, it's not one that I've been on. I'd say that much. <laughs> it's not any of the ones with DHH either. It's episode 131. It's how to learn. It was uh, Katrina Owen was our guest before she was on yes. the panel. And it's interesting because that episode actually outstrips probably any three other episodes on the entire website for devchat.tv. And it, it's I, I still find that just fascinating that it gets so much traffic and so much following just from people who are looking at, okay, how do I, how do I pick this up? You know, how do I, how do I learn stuff? How do I, how do I grow? And for me, a lot of that, a lot of those discussions around sort of the, how do I become a better person? How do I become a better developer? How do I become a better member of my team? How do I contribute more to the community? How do I contribute more to what is going on out there? Those tend to be as interesting to me as the, hey, here's the next technology coming out, right? I mean, it's interesting to me when somebody is coming and they're talking about a thing that is going on out there and then it becomes the thing that everybody is using. But it's it's just as fascinating. I mean, recently we had discussions on like what makes a top 5% developer or what are the things that Rubyists need to know or, you know, different discussions like that. And we've had some of those discussions in the past too, right? Where we just get into some of the fundamentals, exception handling or some part of the standard library or how to make contributions to Ruby gems or how to make contributions to some aspect of the community. And that a lot of that just enriches our own code or enriches our own careers or enriches the community as a whole. And I could probably go find episode after episode of those. And and those to me are just fascinating, right? Because at the end of the day, it's something that I can go and do and I'm better off for it. And then in a lot of ways, so is so is everybody else, right? Because now I am making richer, better, more, more, I guess, fundamentally impactful contributions to the community. So I'm a little curious as we dive into this. I mean, you know, Ruby's been around for a while. The show's been around for 10 years. Where do you see things going from here for Ruby? I uh, I actually see Ruby personally. I see it making a full comeback in in a lot of ways. A lot of us a lot of us went through the whole phase of working with Ruby and Rails back when it was um, what was it the, you know the, the 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 JavaScript libraries that they had in there and of course the jQuery and the um, mm-hmm. uh, R RJS or whatever I can't remember exactly what it was yeah, RJS RJS <laughs> like so many iterations of trying to trying to make applications look good and fast. And then, you know, of course we have, we have a backbone come out, which basically revolutionizes the way people look at front end architecture. And then of course, off of that spawns angular and react and view and all these other things. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in this crazy world where you have to understand two full stack technologies to be able to build one single app. And, and uh, it feels like it's making a full circle. I know that reactive rails is becoming a thing. And I think that's going to be the next iteration. You know, you have Elixir in Phoenix and Phoenix has Live View, And Live View is really one of those core features that draws people to Elixir, I think, or at least to, to Phoenix. I think that the new technologies that are coming out focused on front end 
the stuff that that of course Dave has shown on on uh, on his uh, Drifting Ruby videos and and uh, other places. We have hot wire and stimulus reflex and all of these new technologies that are allowing us to build, you know, very competitive front end applications using technologies that we all like in one single stack. I I believe we're at the very forefront of that, and I think that. You know, I heard something the other day, and it, it just stuck in my head. And I think I've, I think about it probably every day. I think a long time ago we chose our stack that we would develop in simply because it was the right stack for the technology that we needed to build. As we grow and as technology grows, we are getting to the point where you can really choose your tooling to build what you want. So. Ruby is more of an ergonomic decision than a uh, a technical decision, and I, I'm starting to see that where Ruby shines above other places is that it is a pure delight to write, and as it catches up with all this other stuff, and if it can provide the same type of solutions as other technologies, then it only makes sense that the most ergonomic choice will will rise to the top. So that's where I see it going. I'm sorry, that's a super long answer, but I, I do think about this quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think to kind of play on that, for me, at least, it is one of those things that we've heard developer happiness within the Ruby on Rails community. And that's been a phrase that's been passed around to a lot of different communities as, why are you programming in Ruby or Ruby on Rails, it's because it promotes developer happiness. But as developers, even though we're happy as we're developing, we become sad later. And so I think the new shift, or at least the shift that I've been pushing, is future developer happiness through having maintainable applications, which means that your gem file is not littered with hundreds of gems that are no longer maintained, that you are really learning the concepts of Ruby where you can create Ruby classes to extract code, make it more simple. You can look into a gem, explore it, and realize that this gem does exactly what I need, but it's so simple that I could just have my own implementation within my library that I can then maintain and then not have to rely on its dependencies. So I think that for me, at least personally, I've been taking a real shift back from this gem solves my problem. I'm going to just blindly add it in to actually having a much more in-depth conversation with myself or with the team of why do we need to add this gem in? Is this gem really going to solve a problem so big that we just do not want to take it on ourselves? Or is this gem just us being lazy almost? Almost to a fault where we just don't want to add it. We're adding it in just because it pads our text the way we want it instead of actually providing something substantial. So future developer happiness is where I see Ruby on Rails going. And like you said, Eric, that whole transition that we've seen with JavaScript on the front end and how it has gone so far to where now a lot of people are just creating Rails API-only applications to have a completely separate front end, you lose a lot of that future developer happiness going that route because the maintainability of it's hard. 
if you've ever had to maintain an application today that still uses older technology like Backbone, at the time, Backbone was great. You add it in, it provided some amazing functionality. Fast forward 5, 10 years and use it today. It's like, why is this still in here? Why are we still doing it like this? If we had just stuck with the Rails way, if we had just kept it more simple, then our application would still not be on Ruby on Rails version 3. We would be up to version 6. We would be able to add in Hotwire. We would be using StimulusJS. And it would be a lot nicer, more maintainable. And overall, our future developer happiness would still be there working on that particular project. I want to actually come back on what you said there. You you essentially aligned maintainable Rails projects with minimum gem dependencies. Is that how you see it? I think that there is a correlation there. I've never considered that. And I I've I guess I am a lazy programmer because if I if I do find something that works, I just add it. And I, some weird thing in me, like if I if I go to a gem and sure, I've looked at gems, I look at most gems that I bring in, but when I look at them, sometimes they're really simple, possibly even one, you know, one lib file is what I'm bringing in. But I feel like almost like I'm cheating the community if I steal that code and put it into my own. I don't know. Maybe that's just some weird thing that is just me. Have you ever felt that way? Like go in and thanks for doing the work. I'm going to grab what you got and put it in mine instead of applying the gem? Well, it's a trade-off. So if you really want to use that gem and respect the authors and all that, then you should also start contributing to that gem. How often do we just consume a gem without ever giving back to that gem? So it's along the same lines of, you know, is it really ripping off the author that we are just taking, 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 and then have the expectation like, we can't upgrade to the next version of Rails because of this particular gem. You guys need to fix this issue. You know, I think it's kind of along that same lines. But I, I see what you're saying. And I do agree that depending on the complexity of that gem, you don't have to copy it verbatim. You can have your own implementation of it, which I would you know, probably recommend just so you have familiarity and understandability of what you're actually putting into the application. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, l- let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at rubyrogues.com slash Raygun. 
I think it's interesting here too. I, I have two points. One is is that you're both talking about valuing the same things and just putting different emphasis on which things you value more, right? The other thing I'm going to point out is that I feel like Dave told about five years worth of NPM jokes from JavaScript Jabber when he was talking about the dependency issue because it comes up and that that's always the the joke that people throw in about NPM. And, you know, I feel like we do do a, a much better job. And I don't know if that's necessarily out of how NPM works or how we think about gems, whether it's a technical issue or, or a philosophical issue. But it is interesting that, yeah, we, we tend to have less of that issue, Ruby and Rails apps. But yeah, is is it, you know, we do value giving back, but we also value some of the simplicity and some of the, the, the goodness that comes out of that simplicity. And so, yeah, which one do we emphasize? And I, I think there's probably some situational things that go into that as well. My package.block file is 17,000 lines. 17,000 lines. That's, 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 a, that's in a fresh new Rails app, right? Brand new Rails app. I was going to say, I'm sure we can next, do better than that. It's a Next.js app. And I have another Ruby project with similar functionality, and it's like 20 lines. I've got my Rails app open here. Minimum JavaScript, 10,000 lines in, yar- in yarn.lock. Definitely, it's mm-hmm. interesting to, to note the, the number of JavaScript dependencies in a brand new Rails app, even though you're not really doing much JavaScript at all. Definitely a, a, a difference in how at the depth, the, the, the depth of, well, how am I trying to say this? The level of, how do you phrase this? So I guess with, with NPM, people package up the tiniest little things. Uh, and it's almost like if that was to translate to the Ruby world, they'd be packaging every single Ruby, you know, command into separate things or or anything you would do in Ruby. But yeah, I, it, it, I, I don't really know really where I'm going with this, but it is a it is definitely something interesting to think about. Right. It's an obvious it's an observation that you're not necessarily correlating with anything of substance other than just pointing it out. One fun thing that I've actually played around with, and this was with on a Drifting Ruby episode where I implemented Bootstrap several different ways, was using the skip JavaScript when creating a Ruby on Rails application, adding in Hotwire. So I still had the asset pipeline via Sprockets, but then I wanted to add in some functionality that was a NPM library. So I still used Yarn and I would still add in the packages that I needed, the libraries that I wanted. And I was able to do that fairly easily without having to go through Webpacker. So I still put everything through the asset pipeline. So all the asset compilation and all that stuff still seemed like it was working fine, but without adding in Webpacker. And by doing that, the actual Yarnlock or package.json was very minimal. Webpacker is the issue here where you start up a brand new fresh Rails application and all of a sudden now you have hundreds of JavaScript dependencies, even though you may or may not ever even touch the JavaScript portion. Do you think Webpacker is future of Rails? No, please, (laughs) no, no, please. I look at Webpacker like we're going to look back in 20 years and think, oh, remember when we decided that that was a good idea? And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was it was so pushed by the absolute demand to include React and Vue and all of that stuff in here. But I just know that Webpacker is suboptimal as far as 
Rails developers go and having two style sheets folders, having two images folders, having, you know, to keep looking back at the asset pipeline and boy, why did I hate it so much? I can't remember. I really miss it now because I try and configure Webpacker with post-CSS and Tailwind and all this crap. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what the heck happened? It used to be really simple. And now it's just near impossible. So to kind of go back to the whole future developer happiness thing, I do prefer Webpacker over the previous like Rails engine way of having JavaScript assets and maintain because it was almost impossible to one know are you using the latest version of that library because it's then up to not only the maintainer of that library but then also the person maintaining the gym who is adding in that library. So I do not miss those days at all and every now and then you would find one of those gems where they actually went the extra mile and gave you some view helpers and stuff to consume that gem or to consume the JavaScript library. But that wasn't a very common case. So from that aspect, I think Webpacker was was the correct push forward. However, with the sheer number of dependencies that Webpacker uses, I don't think it is the solution. I think... And this is just my speculation because honestly, I have no idea. I'm not part of the Rails core, never worked at Basecamp. So I have no idea. But perhaps we will see a push back to the asset pipeline with now we have Webpack, you know, with Webpacker gone, we have our asset pipeline with uh, Turbo and StimulusJS. I think that could be a shift that we see. Yeah, the problem is is that it still has to there there is enough movement out there for the other frameworks that it still has to support those other systems. And most of those other systems rely on Webpack. I think the the problem is at least and, and this and I don't know what the solution is, but the issue is is that all of these systems tend to rely on Webpack. I think it was the right next step forward whether we wind up going back to something like the asset pipeline or whether we move ahead to whatever JavaScript moves to next. The other thing that I see, because I, I tend to be talk to people in all these different communities, is that all of these communities kind of have a happy path to Webpack, right? So you have like a CLI tool or something that configures Webpack for you. And as long as you're on the happy path, you don't have to deal with it. And, and it's very similar in Rails, right? Rails sets up Webpacker for you. And you generally don't have to touch your Webpacker setup much unless you're bringing in third-party stuff and you, you need it to do something a little bit different from the norm. The issue becomes when you have to do something different from the norm, but that's the same everywhere. And it's clunky everywhere. And so I don't know if Webpack is the future for all of these systems. And so because of that, you know, people talk about it because we don't we don't know what's next. We don't know what's coming. We don't know if something else is going to come in and solve some of those issues. But I think I, I like the idea that we can move ahead with the tooling that everybody else is using in these other communities. I think it simplified some things and complicated others within Rails. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly where we wind up because I don't think this is a permanent solution for anybody. Well, I've got good news for you, Chuck, because I do know the future of Ruby, and I will now reveal it now on this 500th episode of Ruby Rogue's Nostradamus edition. The future. Hang on, Ruby, I'm turning up my headphones. The future of Ruby is Ruby strict mode. Matt's will introduce Ruby strict mode. 
after becoming frustrated with uh, Kokobun's just-in-time compiler, strict mode will uh, double the speed of Ruby in Ruby 4. Uh, Rails will be converted in Rails 9 to a micro-framework. DHH will do a 180. He'll say, do you know what? Monoliths weren't the idea after all. What we really need is microservices. And he will subdivide all of the kind of action, uh, you know, uh, uh, action mailer, active record, active storage, will now become their own microservice uh, connected by uh, a new kind of socket system. Ruby will no longer be run in the future as Ruby. Instead, it will be transpiled to JavaScript uh, in the browser because everyone's phones will be so powerful, we'll just run a complete copy of our server code locally. And uh, eventually Ruby will be renamed to Sapphire because Crystal's already taken. And uh, I've noticed that you left out WebAssembly. Where does that fit in into this whole... Uh, in the past, I think. I think it's fair to say WebAssembly is now in the past. <laughs> yeah. So uh, here to here. <laughs> so I have one more question before we start winding down. And that is going forward with Ruby Rogues, what, what would you like to see? Like, what would you like to see us? I, it could be topics, it could be structure, it could be... Uh, yeah, I really enjoy doing guest interviews and stuff. But there is a certain ambiance about just having the panel on here and just, you know, shooting the breeze with whatever topic or whatever we're feeling conglomeratively that episode where we can just go on wild tangents and never return to the original point that we forgot we were making. All right. You were going to say something, Eric? Yeah. So the, I think the thing that would help the community the most is to, to, give, to give a place for these open source projects who are looking to get adoption, looking to get uh, to grow and, and whatnot on the show. Things like View Component, I believe, is, is, is taking Rails in a very interesting direction especially a view component in combination with the view component contrib library by evil martians i see i see a future in that area that allows us to componentize parts of our rails application so that we can turn around and reuse it across different apps and and share these componentized things where i i would expect that maybe within a year to two years we're going to see a very simple way to add um, full UX capabilities within our Rails app simply by adding a gem that has view components in it. So definitely, I'd love to to see more interviews in that in in regards to those technologies that are starting to bring Ruby and Rails back in the mainstream. Definitely more stimulus reflex, more hot wire, more stuff like that. I mean, you guys are doing awesome. Just keep it up. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, we did talk about. View components, we talked about uh, Stimulus Reflex recently. But yeah, the view components contrib, I definitely like to cover. And uh, if you run across any of those other libraries that may not pop up on our radar, I'd love to just be made aware, right? So that we can just go hit them. How about you, Luke? What do I want to see from Ruby Rogues in the future? Mm -hmm. More Luke, really. Maybe maybe like a kind of spin-off series like... Uh, what was that? Uh, do you know, like they have TV shows like the Marvel, and they get their own kind of mm -hmm. spin-off series. Uh, then, yeah, I can see, I can see that. So, happening. we're the defenders, and you're Luke. 
Yeah, yeah. I would. I would also like to see uh, live. I already talked about live streams. I think that's a that's a series. That's a, a, a serious idea. Is is doing some live stream coding. I don't know what the state of the technology is there. What I have in my mind is something similar to the super chat system, but instead of you know when somebody says a super chat, you have to read it out. Instead, you can kind of super chat some code, and then you have to incorporate it into the project. This this is uh, something I haven't thrashed out yet. I, but we can all see the technology is there. People are already doing this. Uh, I'd like to take those tools, those emerging markets, if you will, and kind of see what we can do in terms of software development. There already, there's a couple of people I've watched already who do stuff on JavaScript. And I do feel like JavaScript is kind of, I feel like it's kind of further ahead. Do you get that feeling? Some of the kind of the communities, you know, there's maybe a bit, maybe a bit younger, dare I say it, maybe a bit younger. <laughs> These young guys have read JavaScript, they're a bit more kind of internet native in the way they think. So I think I think we should be stealing ideas rather than coming up from ourselves. We should be having a look at the very forefront of uh, engagement because it is about engagement. You know, it is about yep. getting people to listen, getting people to learn. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities out there, uh, but we have to balance that because... We're very lucky to have kind of people like Eric and Dave and yourself who are senior developers and, you know, have constraints on their time. So there has to be a kind of happy balance between doing a show we love and trying out some new stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I love off. so if, if you did get your own show, would you kind of be like Hawkeye? Like the superhero with no superpowers, or I do two versions. So what I do is I do the first the first hour would be or first half hour would be a kind of free broadcast uh, to kind of get people on the show, and then I go behind a paywall, and it would be kind of you know Luke, you know some extreme programming too too hot for GitHub that kind of thing. <laughs> awesome. Only yeah. Um, so yeah, and and it's interesting because this a lot of this kind of ties into kind of what my vision is, I guess, for DevChat.tv and for each of the shows. And I'm I'm going to use a word that's kind of become a dirty word in certain circles, but for better or for worse, we still live in a world that is somewhat a meritocracy in the sense that you have to have certain skills, you have to be able to demonstrate that you can do certain kinds of work, and companies hire the people that they generally think are the best fit for that job, right? That can get the work done, that are going to fit with their culture, that are going to be able to get the stuff done that they need done. And so what I kind of envision for these shows is that we're covering the topics that allow people to level up, that allow people to learn how to show off what they're capable of doing. A lot of that comes into open source or comes into projects that they build that they can show people, you know, that may or may not be open source, allows people to um, go out and create media like what Luke's talking about, go out and find ways of contributing to the community so that when they go into a situation where they are trying to then get a job or speak at a conference or in, in other ways, take things to the next level in, in their career, that people can easily identify that they're the right person for that thing, right? And that, you know, the things that don't matter so much about that, you know, how they look or where they're from or anything like that, it just boils down to that 
that they are legitimately the the right person with the right skills in the right place with the right experience that that they are obviously the right person to to come in and do the thing and as much as i can enable people and kind of like what eric was saying too right the people who are contributing to these open source projects you know hold them up and say hey look this person is doing an awesome thing and give them some airtime and then on the other end help people recognize i can do this too i can i can go out there and Whatever obstacles I have, I can get through them. I can get over them. I can get around them. Maybe these guys on Rogues will help me out. If if we can do that with this show, that that's kind of what I envision this being, right? And so if if we can be that, if we can able, enable people to step up and be lifted up in that way, I want that for this show. But then also to focus on, hey, here's a skill you ought to look into building. Here's a library you ought to learn. Here's a thing you ought to know. Here, you know, and and give people those opportunities to stay on top of the curve so that as Ruby moves forward, if what we've talked about here is correct and it's going to come back into the limelight, they can ride that wave as it crests and be on the forefront of taking advantage of, of what that'll do for all of us. So, so yeah. Anyway, were there any other things that you all wanted to talk about? Any Anything you wanted to dive into related to the show or related to Ruby or Rails? I've got, I've got a question for you, Chuck. If you could have mm-hmm. anyone as your Ruby Rogues co-host, anyone in the world, who would it be and why? That's hard, right? I mean, it's it's interesting too because... It's me, right? That, <laughs> oh, I assume that you were talking about somebody that isn't already here, right? Or somebody yeah, that yeah, okay, that's the second a, question. as a host, right? Because ultimately for me it's all about the the mission it's about the out, outcome right and and it didn't start out that way I, i'm going to give you kind of a longer answer right initially when we started ruby rogues i'd been podcasting for a while i was doing rails coach and then eric actually turned teach me to code over to me and i kind of rebranded that over to the kind of the teach me to code branding and then we started ruby rogues and it was kind of about the people that I was meeting and the stuff that I was learning and the opportunities that it got for me at the time. And then as time went on and I've met people and uh, gotten to know people, it's become a whole lot more about the impact that we can have, right? The positive impact, uh, the ways that we can inspire people, the ways that we can show people that it doesn't matter where you come from or what obstacles you think you're facing or that you're actually facing, because sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the other. You can do this if you really want it. And you can find people that will help you get past those things. And so there there are some kind of obvious names that you would throw out there, like uh, DHH or Jameis Buck, or people who have contributed quite a bit to the Ruby community. But I'm much, much more interested in the people who have the story to tell that would show people just how much can be overcome in order to get to the place where you can contribute at that level, right? I would much rather have that person on as the co-host and just let them shine than have the DHH come on and be the co-host, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. But I, I don't have a I don't have like a name in mind or anything. If you know that person and you can introduce them to me, I would I would uh, love you forever for it. Anything else we want to dive into here? All right. Why don't we do some picks and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up episode 500. I'm pretty I'm pretty stoked that we've come this far. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or 
If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Dave, do you want to start us off with uh, picks? Sure. So my first pick is crap. Like, literally crap. If you have a garden and... If it's not growing too well, try some fertilizer. It can really make a difference. So every year, I grow pumpkins in our backyard, which we have a tiny backyard. But it's just something that's fun for the kids to do where come October, we will have a little pumpkin patch. They can invite a couple of friends over and each pick up a pumpkin and then you know take it home with them. So it's something that I've been doing for the past eight years. But the past two years... We've not gotten any pumpkins. So it's been really disappointing. And I turns out the Georgia clay just completely sucks. So you can't really grow much in there. I'm surprised we even have grass. So this year, I got the same situation where it sprouted, but then the leaves just started turning yellow. And it wasn't from overwatering. So I went out and got some organic fertilizer, which is basically chicken crap and put that on there and it's just taking off now so we might actually have a pumpkin patch this year nice. i'm not going to put a link to that it's it's just fertilizer from home yeah well you can <laughs> yeah i was going to say you can get it at basically any place that has a garden center and at least around here there are also places that sell all kinds of like dirt and gravel and stuff and they've got all kinds of different manures that you can pick up and get by the truckload too so yeah luke you have some picks for us? Yeah, you've got to be careful when buying large amounts of fertilizer. That's all I'm saying. I, I got a knock. So be careful how much you buy. The My pick this week is Charles Max Wood. Yes, I'm picking you, Chuck. That's just As weird. Don't do that. The, the pod father of code. I am. It was oh, five or six years ago. I was thinking about escaping my job and starting my own company. And I was looking around the kind of stuff to get me to the next level and also to learn. And I have a vivid memory of driving up the country of England on a kind of three, four, five hour drive to go and meet people who would eventually kind of uh, launch my career and listening to the Ruby Rogues podcasts on these very, very long drives as a kind of way to kind of skill up while I was kind of stuck doing other stuff. And I kept listening uh, of when when things did take off and I started doing a lot of international flights. And fair to say, it's fair to say that I would not have had the career I had in the last five years if it hadn't been for Ruby Rogues and uh, your other podcasts, including the few ones which I've kind of learned a lot from. So uh, that's my pick. It is It is you, Chuck. I pick you for my pick of Ruby Rogues. And I certainly hope you keep doing what you're doing because it really is an immense resource. And I strongly believe there are people out there all over the world who wouldn't have had the career they've had, wouldn't have started the businesses they've had, uh, wouldn't have met the people, you know, they've, they've met in their life if it had not been for devchat.tv and the huge array of podcasts it hosts. So, but yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Luke. I, I just want to say one thing about that. And it's basically that, and I didn't get too much into this when I was talking about where I was at, but things got pretty dark last year and I almost quit. And it I got a couple of notes 
phone calls, uh, interviewed some people for the shows and had them basically say stuff like that afterward. And that's why I didn't quit. So sometimes you don't know that it makes a difference for someone to hear it, but it does. It makes a difference to hear just that it made a difference, that, that something you did mattered. So, and, you know, Eric keeps bringing up open source folks. Let your open source folks know it too, right? Let, let the guys that organize the meetups you go to know it. Let the folks that speak at the conferences, you know, if, if they gave a talk that, that made an impact on you, let them know. Because sometimes you wonder or sometimes you lose sight of that, right? Because there's a lot of negative stuff coming your way and you got to hear it. And when you hear it, you realize, you know what? I can't give up on these folks and you keep going. Eric, do you have some picks? I don't know how to follow crap and you. <laughs> not associated with each other, but <laughs> sometimes they are. No, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just not. Uh, my pick is not anything emotional or anything like that. It is uh, so I work for a company called Gitcoin, and um, and I am a huge fan of them. Gitcoin is a platform that allows um, developers to to create bounties on issues on GitHub, and then it hits a network. I think of twenty five thousand developers, and and people can come in and contribute to the work, and it. It's really they've created this ecosystem of funding open source projects through through cryptocurrency and and I've watched this company grow over the past few years and I've been a part of it for a while. I left that company about a year ago. And since then they've recently and when I say recently I'm saying 2 days ago or 3 days ago on Monday. So today's the 27th of May. So it've been this past Monday. They finally launched a token, which they have been wanting to for a long time. And the interesting thing about this token is it's a complete governance token over the project. So I suppose my pick is Kevin Iwaki and his absolute pure-mindedness to take something that he's created and hand it over to the people that use it. The way this thing works is that you, you can have a certain amount of governance tokens, and those tokens will dictate... Uh, control of how that money is spent, as far as I understand it. And with these tokens, you can actually allocate a, a, a steward to represent yourself. So it's it's kind of like a, a little like micro political microcosm, but it's a, it's a really cool thing that they've got going on. They call it quadratic lands. So if you go to gitcoin.co slash quadratic lands, Check it out. You can get a free airdrop there, but I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's definitely top of mind for me recently. So uh, thanks for letting me share that. That's really cool. I've been a member of several organizations that allow the proxy voting kind of set up, right? My HOA does it, for example, right? You sign a paper and then at the meeting, somebody else essentially casts your vote and their vote. That's really cool. I might have to see about, yeah, getting him to come on some of the shows and talk about it because... I love what he's doing there. And it's always nice to highlight some of that stuff. And new developments like this are a good reason to get people on and say, okay, what's new? And hey, let's remind everybody what you do that's awesome. I'm going to jump in with a few picks here. So there are a couple of things that I have really been getting into lately that I'm really enjoying. So I'm just going to talk a bit about these. Uh, One of the first ones is a book called Who Not How. And it's kind of changed a lot of my outlook on how things work when you're building your business. So, you know, I'm kind of building back devchat.tv. I've been doing a lot of work on getting the, the the right people in the seats as far as like hosts and stuff like that. But 
it talks about a lot of other stuff regarding like who you hire and who you get to do stuff and, you know, things like that. And I've kind of changed my approach on how I'm doing some of the stuff related to devchat.tv. And it's all coming out of this book. So the idea is essentially as you take on new things in your business or as you start looking at the stuff that you're doing, you instead of asking, how do I get this other thing done? Or how can I get this done more efficiently? You start asking yourself, who can do this, right? And you find people who can do it. And not all the time are you going to find somebody who can do it the same way or to the same quality standard that you would. But if they can get close, right, on quality, and they can get the job done, right? And so you set certain parameters for things, then you can bring them in. And so actually last night, I just sat down with Michaela, who's kind of been running a lot of the production stuff for devchat.tv. And I just said, hey, look, these are the parameters that I need you to operate under, right? If you can deliver this, then you're doing your job, right? And there's a lot of stuff that I've been doing to make those things happen. And so essentially, my deal for the next few days or the next couple of weeks, probably, is I'm just going to record videos. This is how this works. This is how this works. This is how this works. Then she knows what she's got as far as the systems go. And then it's her job to make it all run, right? And then instead of me being the bottleneck on that stuff, I'm the resource for her to bounce ideas off, to to help her figure out some of the technicalities of how some of the systems work and things like that. But it's her job to get that stuff done, right? And so ultimately, I'm still it's still my business. So I'm not just totally giving away all responsibility for it. But at the end of the day, right, she's the who that's in charge of that, right? And then I can take on the next piece of things and I can say, okay, who is going to be responsible for this piece? And who is going to be responsible for this piece, right? And then instead of failing spectacularly at the stuff I'm not good at that I'm holding on to, I can find people who are good at the things that I'm not good at. And I can find people who are good at the things that I am good at that I shouldn't be doing anyway. And then I can focus on the things that really matter for me to be involved in. And I can just do those. And it's been very, very powerful. It's going to take me a while to implement it all. But it's been very powerful in what I'm doing. And what I find is that a lot of times, even in programming, we tend to let this drop, right? So people are like, I I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago who has an open source project. And he's telling me, this is a better way of doing things with these React projects. It solves all these problems, blah, 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 right? He is the right who to write that code. He's the right who to solve that problem. He is the wrong who to get people to use it right? And so what he needs is he needs somebody else to come in and get people to use it, right? And I've invited him on the podcast to talk about it. And I've, you know, but he needs somebody else to be out there getting him on the shows and tweeting about it and making memes and doing all the other stuff that's going to get people to realize, hey, this thing's out there and it'll solve this problem. And so we all do it. And so, and we, but, but what we need is we need somebody to collaborate with that's going to help us with this stuff. So that's one thing. And then the other one is, is on the stuff that you are doing, you know, whether it's handing off stuff to the who's or whether it's the stuff that you actually should be doing and are doing or just getting code written. The other thing I'm finding is that if I sit down and just have focused time to get crap done, I'm, I get way more done and it makes a major, major difference. And a friend of mine uh, created a, a product called Focus Blocks. And what it is, is it's a subscription service, but you can sign up for as many focus blocks as you want. And at the start of the block, you join a Zoom meeting. And if you're late, you can't get in. 
you, if you, you know, you get in within the first couple of minutes and they remind you to put your phone somewhere, not in your room and you share with everybody else in the the block, what you're going to get done in that hour, right? So you're committing to a result in that hour. And then you leave your camera on for accountability. You can turn it off if you want, obviously, but you, you leave it on and then you just work focus for like 50 ish minutes. And then at the end, you know, they lead you through some stretching exercises and stuff just to get you up and get you moving. And then if you have another block scheduled for the next hour, you just go right back in and do another focus block. And I found that this is really powerful just to kind of get you into the zone and get you into flow and get you this stuff going and it's focus blocks. I will, if you go to devchat.tv slash focus, I think is the easiest way to do that. I'll just have that link through. It's focusblocks.io, but I can't remember if there's a wait list or things. My link will just get you in so you can just sign up. And and it lets him know that I sent you over, which is good good for him and good for me. But anyway, it's 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 just this really powerful tool that I've been really benefiting from with some of this stuff. So I'm gonna pick that as well. And I think that's it. Well, thanks for coming, Eric. It was good to chat with you again. Hopefully we can get together in person soon. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks for having me. And yeah, thanks for coming, Dave and Luke. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled Ruby Rogue stuff next week. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.